0: Hey, listen, I, uh, I wanted to open with a little levity because the chapter before us is perhaps one of the uh, least funny chapters in all the Bible. very, very heavy i 'm not sure you want to read this with your young child as a sort of a bedtime story it 's gruesome it 's grotesque it 's in the Bible, so there's value in it. But let me give you a little psychological text, a uh, test. If this chapter is enjoyable to you, you really need help. This should not be enjoyable at all. It should be studied because it's in the Bible, but my goodness, it's heavy, heavy. So it's in the book of Judges, and that's where we have been for quite some time. By the way, folks, we'll be in Judges chapter 19 tonight, and there's only 21 chapters in the book. So as you could see, we're coming down the home stretch. The theme of the book is rebellion and restoration. Uh, The first is characteristic of man, rebellion. The second, of God, his gracious restoration. Well, we'll enter into the text right now. Here it is, Judges chapter 19, verse 1. Look what it says. It came about in those days. I guess for some, you would stop there because you would conclude, well, this is history, rather ancient history, I'm told it's about those days. What application does it have to these days? Well, hang on. I think you'll see that it does. So it came about in those days when there was, look at this, no king in Israel. You could read through that pretty quickly and kind of miss the significance. No king meant no authority, no governance, no government. Everybody did what was right in his or her own eyes. Does that sound good to you? No, no, folks, that's called anarchy. Um, that was characteristic of those days, but I guess I don't have to tell you that's increasingly, it seems, uh, becoming characteristic of our days. There was no king. There was no higher authority. There was no, there was no source of restraint If it feels good, if it feels right, just do it. What's the result of having no restraining influence? Well, it's Judges 19, uh, for one, and, uh, well, sadly, it's modern-day America. There was no king in Israel uh, then, but there was a certain Levite, a Levite. We've read about Levites there. They're supposed to be the spiritual leaders of Israel. Well, we'll soon see whether this fellow was. We read about a Levite in the prior chapters. This one is entirely different. So there was no king in that day, but there was a certain Levite. Where was he? Well, he was staying in the remote part of the hill country, not of Austin, but of a place called Ephraim. I'll show you where that is, uh, here on this map. Again, just to give you some mooring points, the western boundary of Israel is this body of water here called the Mediterranean Sea. A dividing line between Israel on the left and modern-day Jordan and Syria on the right is this squiggly line. That's the Jordan River. It starts up here in the north and it feeds into here, it empties out into the Dead Sea in the south. And so we're told that this man uh, was living in the hill country of Ephraim. Here it is right here. So that's about the central part of the country, just to give you some idea. And the text, furthermore, goes on to say that um, he was from Bethlehem in Judah. So here's Bethlehem down here. You could see it. So uh, he's from this place, but he was living in this place. And the text tells us that he took a concubine. So what's a concubine? A concubine is kind of a second status wife. Uh, A woman, sort of a wife, but with far fewer rights and privileges than an actual wife. Uh, A concubine is really a sort of a legal mistress. And I'm uh, sorry to say that almost all of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, almost all of these folks in the Old Testament had in addition to their primary wife, at least one concubine. Even though the Bible records it, it never justifies nor authorizes it. In fact, from the beginning, have you read this? God made them male and female and ordained that one man would be bound irreversibly to one woman, the two thereby becoming one flesh. And even though everything is changing, God's model for marriage has never changed. But in that day, anything was possible because everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now we're told something in verse 2 about the nature of this man's concubine. She was a loose woman. She played the harlot and she left him and went to her father's house in Bethlehem. So again, they were living up here in the hill country of Ephraim. I guess she got tired of him, took on other partners, and decided to go south here to Bethlehem, and she moved back home with her dad. I'll bet you he wasn't too thrilled, but that's what she did. Four months passed, and her husband of sorts, the Levite. I suppose he realizes she's gone. I don't know what took him so long. But anyway, that's what happened. So after four months, he um, saddled up and decided to go after her. He wanted to bring her back, and he had a plan to speak tenderly to her. And so the text says he went with a servant and a pair of donkeys, you see, one for him, one for her. And so when he arrived, she, for whatever reason, I suppose, was glad to see him. And so she brought him into her father's house. And when the girl's father saw him, he was really glad to see him. Why? Well, in those days, it just wasn't normal for a woman to leave her husband. And it was she didn't have the right. It was illegal for her to divorce him. And a woman can really make it on her own. And now she's sort of living back home off of her father's resources. And I guess when he saw her husband show up, the Levite, he thought, oh, great. He's come to take her. He'll be responsible for her financial upkeep. So verse 4, the father-in-law, the girl's dad, detained him, wanted him to stick around. And so the Levite stayed there for three days. Not unusual. That's part of Middle Eastern Uh, hospitality customs, even today, particularly amongst nomadic people, you have business to transact, but you just don't get to it and get out of it. You got to sit around to do what they did. The text says there at the end of verse four, they ate and drank and lodged there. So I just want you to take note of this. That's what they did. They ate and drank. And then we read in verse uh, five, on the fourth day, the Levite got up early. He was prepared to leave, but uh, the girl's father said to him, "Uh, stick around, sustain yourself with a piece of bread. So verse four we have, they ate and drank. Verse five, we have something similar. Sustain yourself with a piece of bread. And so the text goes on in verse six. And so both of them sat down and they ate and drank. And so now we have This statement here, first verse four, they ate and drank. Verse five, sustain yourself with a piece of bread. Verse six, both of them sat down, ate and drank. And verse seven, the man, he was getting ready to go, but the father-in-law said to him, no, 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 spend the night here again. And so on the fifth day, verse eight, he got up to leave early and the girl's father said again, no, 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 please sustain yourself, stick around. And so verse eight says, both of them ate. So I hope I'm not reading too much into this, but I sort of see a theme here. They ate and drank, verse 4. Sustain yourself with a piece of bread, verse 5. Both of them sat down. What'd they do? They ate and drank, verse 6, verse 8. Both of them ate. Look, the Levite is supposed to be one of the spiritual leaders in Israel. That's his calling. He's supposed to minister spiritual nourishment, food, spiritual food to the population and all I see this character doing is sitting around eating and drinking very fleshly very materialistic orientation which as you'll see is the least of this guy's bad characteristics well when the man finally decided he needed to leave and with his concubine and servant the father-in-law said to him ah you know the day is coming to an end and why don't you just spend The night here and that your heart may be merry. In other words, let's keep drinking, is what they were doing. And then tomorrow, you know, you'll get up early and you can take off then. But verse 10, I guess finally the Levite had enough. And so he wasn't willing to spend one more night there. And so he arose and took off and came to a place opposite Jebus. That is Jerusalem. So let me bring you back to this map. They were in Bethlehem. They went to Jebus. See, uh uh-oh, I did something wrong here. Oh, there we go. They went to Jebus. See this little red line? That's about uh, five miles. So they didn't go very, very far. Why? Because this guy made the wrong decision to leave too late in the day, and it's soon to get dark. So they go to Jebus. Uh, That's Jerusalem today. It's called Jebus because a people group known as the Jebusites lived there. That was a kind of a Canaanite tribal people, and so uh, this man decides that maybe that's a good place for us to stay. So verse 11, when they got near the place, the day is almost gone, the servant said to the master, let's turn into this city and spend the night there. But the master said, no, 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 let's not do that because foreigners live there. You see, Jebusites not Israelites. And so this Levite, an Israelite, didn't want to take a chance of spending the night with foreigners. And so he decided, let's go as far as Gibeah. So he didn't want to stay in Jebus. He wanted to go further north, look at here, to Gibeah. So that's about another three miles, let's just say, from Jebus. Why did he want to go to Gibeah? Well, because that's where his people would be. And I guess he was thinking, we would be at risk hanging out with the Jebusites, but surely we'll be safe uh, going to a city populated by our own people. Well, soon you'll see this guy was wrong about that. Anyway, that's what they did. And they end up in Gibeah, which the text says belongs to the tribe of Benjamin. See, this was the tribal allotment of Benjamin here. They're Ephraimites. But they're in the tribe of Benjamin, in the area of Benjamin at this particular uh, time. And so they, in verse 15, they uh, turn into this city, Gibeah. And when they entered, they sat down in the open square of the city, uh, for no one took them into his house to spend the night. So uh, it's a walled city, Uh, the gates are open, they gain entrance. They think they're going to be well taken care of. Hospitality surely will be extended because they're they're Israelites. Surely their fellow countrymen will give them a place to stay. And so they're positioning themselves in the city square, waiting for someone to see they're not from there, and make a good offer of hospitality to them. Uh, But the text says no one took them into his house to spend the night. Now we can pass by that verse pretty quickly, but in that day, that's a shocking thing to happen. You see, they didn't have motels in every place like we do today, and traveling was somewhat risky and dangerous, and so if your own countrymen didn't extend hospitality to you, you would be at great risk, and so this was a tremendous insult. Folks, it was a sign, one of the many, of the disintegration of that particular society that, Uh, Their own countrymen would not extend helps to them. But then something happened in verse 16. An old man, it said, he's coming out of the field. He had worked the field by day, it's now nighttime. And the man also was from the hill country of Ephraim. He's from this place, but for whatever reason, he relocated. He came south to Bethlehem, and there, I don't know, maybe he found work. So he's working the field. At the end of his work day, he is making his way back home, and he sees in the square these, these travelers. They're just in the square, he lifts up his eyes, and he sees this, and he says to them, where are you going, and where do you come from? And they say, well, we're passing from Bethlehem, and uh, we've been there, and but we're from um, the hill country of Ephraim. He says, oh, my goodness, that's my hometown as well. And so they have some kind of connection right there. And the Levite says to him, verse 19, Uh, You know, we have straw, we have fodder for our donkeys. We also have bread and and wine for me, your maidservant, he's referring to his concubine, and the young man, his own servant, who's with us. We lack nothing. You know why he's saying that? We're not going to take anyone's goods. We have no need for food and all this kind of stuff. We just need someone in this goofy city to to show us hospitality we just need a roof to be under for the night we're not beholden to anyone to to borrow their food or wine or any of this kind of stuff and so the levite explains the situation and the nation you see is in the midst of social disintegration there is no king there's no restraint there's no government there's no absolute authority people are just doing whatever they want to do and society is falling apart nobody felt obligated to extend helps to these people at all there's no sense of community well then this happens in verse 20 it's going to get worse folks so if you want to get out now i don't blame you the old man said peace to you it's kind of a nice word shalom you've heard of that haven't you That's a great word, shalom. Peace to you, he says. Only let me take care of all your needs. However, don't spend the night in the open square. Now, why is he so insistent about that? I mentioned to you, Gibeah was a walled city, iron gates. Therefore, the residents would be protected from outsiders. But this old man knew that they didn't need protection from outsiders, the threat from what was from within welcome to modern day america folks we have an intensely strong military and defensive structure i'm so grateful but i'm afraid the real threat is from within and so that happened in that day and it seems to be happening in our day and so he said don't spend the night in the open square anticipating they will be put upon by their own kind on the inside of this particular city. So the man takes them into his house. He gave uh, them a place to stay, and they got comfortable. And they ate and drank, and it wasn't lemonade. And so while they were celebrating, folks, they're getting looped is what's happening. Uh, While they're doing this, men of the city, they're worthless fellows. Here's what they look like. Well, maybe not, but you get the idea. Worthless fellows, they're called. Residents of the city, they surround the house. They're banging on the door. They spoke to the owner of the house, this old man. They said, this is what they said. Bring out the man, the Levite, who came into your house. Why? That we may have relations with him. That's a biblical euphemism for they wanted to have homosexual, sexual relations with this man. Maybe this sounds somewhat familiar to you. It's reminiscent of the horrible event in Genesis 19. Sodom and Gomorrah, remember that? When Lot was in a house, and men there wanted to do the same thing. They wanted to have relations with Lot. Remember that episode? You know what the connection is between Genesis 19 and this episode? The Israelites are becoming just like the Sodomites, that's what's happening. The Israelites are supposed to be influencers of the culture, and yet the culture seemed to be having greater influence on them. Perish the thought that that would be the case with we Christians. We're supposed to be salt and light. We're supposed to impact on society. Perish the thought that it's the other way around, and we're becoming just like society. The Israelites are in Canaan. They're becoming Canaanized but they're citizens of heaven. So are we. I hope we are acting like it and are not getting corrupted and compromised by the culture. Well, the man, the owner of the house, he went out and he said to these ruffians, no, my fellows, don't do this. Don't act wickedly. This man has come into my house. Don't commit this act of folly. And here's what he does. Oh, my goodness. This is rough. Here is my virgin daughter and his concubine. He volunteers his daughter and the Levites' second status wife. Here's what he said. Let me bring them out that you may rape them and do to them whatever you wish. See, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Uh, There's one limitation. Do not commit such an act of folly against this man. Do what you want to to my virgin daughter. Do what you want to to the other guy's concubine. But leave this man who's a guest in my home alone. Are you struck with the distorted sense of values Uh, that's going on there. Hospitality is a good thing, but hospitality is not the ultimate thing, is it? Can you see how crazy things get when there's no order, no absolutes, no restraints? There is no king. There is no governance. Can you see how distorted, upside-down values could get Apparently, the standard of hospitality was a higher standard in this man's eyes than the standard of offering protection to your own daughter and another man's wife. It's crazy, folks. To the host of the home, the Levites' life mattered, but the lives of these two women did not matter at all but that's not true in God's eyes, for whom all lives matter. But the men would not listen to him, and so the man seized his concubine and brought her out to them. And they indeed raped her, and they abused her all night until morning, and then they let her go at the approach of dawn. And as the day began to dawn, the woman came. I don't want to put this picture in your mind, but I I think you better get it there to get the impact of what's happening. She fell down at the doorway of the man's house. Why did she fall down? I take it she didn't have the strength to even knock on the door or turn the knob. She just managed after a horrific evening of abuse she just managed I think with her last bit of strength to find her way to this home and collapse there and there she was uh, until daylight and so she's on the verge of death folks this is her last bit of strength and she collapses there and And we read in verse 27, when her master arose, so the fact that he arose implies that he lied down. (laughs) He went to sleep. Am I missing something? Uh, Though a second status wife, still she was a wife, forget about it. She was a person uh, with whom he had a tie And yet he managed to get a good night's sleep while she's being ravished by a pack of animals. Uh, How do you do that? How do you go to bed? Folks, when there's no king, all hell breaks loose because everyone does what's right in his own eyes. Welcome to America today. Oh, don't say the Bible is not relevant for crying out loud. You dare not walk down the street in Portland, Oregon? Because everyone's doing what's right in his or her own eyes. So he gets up finally. In the morning, the text says. So what, is, what did he do? Did he make himself a breakfast? Was it, I mean, did he make bacon? And, well, it probably wasn't bacon and eggs now that I think about it. He was a Levite made some kind of breakfast. He opens the doors of the house, and he went out to to go on. He's going to go on his way. You know, his bags are packed. He's going to go home. And so he opens the door. I take it he's not even thinking about this lady, but there she is at the threshold of the door. And he sees his concubine there. She's lying at the doorway of the house. Look, with her hands on the threshold, So when I read this, I just had to pause. Um, It was such a weighty image in my mind. Uh, With her last bit of strength, is her hand extended maybe to knock, maybe to try to reach for the doorknob? And if, folks, she died there, was it with her hand outstretched just like this? Was she trying to grasp for compassion and protection and all she could grasp onto was her own death? Was she grasping for the love of her own husband, for for his compassion and protection? And all it was 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 an empty hand. There she was with a justifiable expectation of helps. From her own husband and and she received none. I don't want to hurt you, but it's sadly true, isn't it, then that, that this may be a possibility for some to whom I'm speaking right now, and that is you're needy and you're reaching out to those you you have every right to think will meet your need, and it doesn't it doesn't happen. You're you're reaching out, but your hand remains empty, unfilled, un satisfied I don't know what to say to someone like you except this if that's happening to you can you can you get in your mind the outstretched hand of almighty God the Lord Jesus who is your heavenly husband who is your heavenly father who will never leave you or forsake you who will never exploit you nor abuse you, who is concerned about you, who encamps around you, Is intent on making you safe and secure, and who's intent on meeting your needs. Folks, run to Jesus when, having run to others, you remain with needs unmet. That's a terrible tragedy. I wish we had more to say to you, except, well, run to Jesus you'll never be left empty-handed. Well, he says, the Levite says to her, can you imagine he's looking down to her? Look at in verse 28, he says, get up and let us, that's what he says, get up, let's go. But there was no answer. Why not? Well, I think she passed. She, She died. And so he must have picked her up. He placed her on the donkey and And then he's preparing to go home, just going home. And so when he entered his house back in the hill country of Ephraim, look what he did. He took a knife. Look, I'm sorry even to read this to you, but I didn't write it. It's in the Bible. It's in, folks, it's a realistic picture of what happens when everyone does what's right in his own eyes. So he picked up a knife and he grabbed hold of this, Lady, his deceased concubine, he cut her in 12 pieces, not 11, not 13, 12. Limb by limb he did this. Why 12? Well, there are 12 tribes of Israel, and this was a grotesque symbol to them. He sent a one piece of her body to each of the 12 tribes as if to say to them, may this happen to you if you don't respond for the injustice perpetrated upon her What about his own sin? He didn't even at this point offer, he didn't even at this point provide a proper burial. In verse 30, the closing verse, and I must tell you, I'm glad to close here in just a minute or two. All who saw it, all who found out about this said nothing like this has ever happened or been seen from the day when the sons of Israel came up from the land of Egypt to this day, consider it, think about it, take counsel and speak up. Isn't this difficult to fathom, folks? Well, no, it's not. You see, when everyone is doing what's right in his own eyes, are you seeing what we're capable of? This chapter looks like what happens when everyone does what's right in his own eyes. This is the theme verse of the entire book. I went too fast here. This is the very last um, verse. It's actually not 19, I made a mistake here. Let me cross this out. It's chapter 21. In Judges 21, verse 25, here's what it says. In those days, there's no king. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And so uh, if that looks attractive to you and we're seeing the streets filled with people who think it is, don't tell me what to do. Don't reason with me. I'm angry. At what? It doesn't matter. I just want to burn down stuff. I just want to do what I want to do because I want to do it. Well, if that looks attractive to you, folks, uh, look at Judges chapter 19. This chapter shows us what freedom from restraint looks like. This chapter shows us what setting our own standards of morality looks like. This chapter shows us what anarchy looks like anarchy a compound word an it means without archos without a ruler when there's no ruler when there's no rule in society what do you get you get judges chapter 19 god therefore ordained rule government in order to protect the citizenry and provide lawful restraint on misbehavior. Uh, God provided government to protect the citizenry from unruly other citizens. And now we find the first line of governmental defense, law enforcement, under fire. Defund those who are out there to protect us. Degrade, diminish Attack those ordained by God to be our first line of defense. Folks, when that happens, welcome to social disintegration, the likes of which we're reading in Judges chapter 19. There's no sense of affiliation. There's no sense of community. No, Everyone is simply doing what's right in his own eyes. Do you feel like our country is unraveling? I wish I had a better word for you, but it is. And Judges 19 shows us, I think, where we're going. When people turn from the king above all kings, that's King Jesus, you know what you get? Judges. Chapter 19, that's what you get. When people turn against King Jesus, the depravity of the human soul manifests itself in horrors unimaginable like what we've just read about. Therefore, I close with this. To be yoked to King Jesus, which is so repulsive to some who want freedom, to be yoked to King Jesus is the ultimate freedom and that's why we read this marvelous verse in John 8:36 if the if the son you see it's a possibility not a certainty the son is ready but he's given us choice if the son if we permit the son to make us free then there will be freedom indeed. We will be free from lack of restraint. We will be free from unbridled passions. We will be free from social disintegration. If the sun makes you free, I I strongly, strongly invite you If you haven't come before the Lord Jesus and said, I've tried being the master of my own destiny. I've tried to rule my own life and govern it. And in the process of trying to regulate my own passions and desires, I have found that my passions and desires are unregulated. If you've realized that, why don't you say, Lord Jesus, I am so willing to give up my autonomy It's not what I thought it would be like. No, come into my life, rule and reign. Provide for me the restraint I need. Otherwise, my sin nature will absolutely overwhelm me. Come into my life, be my savior. And Lord, exercise governance, please, over me. For if you set me free, I'll be free indeed. I pray you do this by prayer. Come into my life, Lord Jesus. Forgive the sin which has separated me from you. Forgive me of it and establish yourself on the throne of my own life that I might be free really to be the person you most want me to be. If you've made that decision and want to talk more about it, would you call us here at the church? We'd be glad to chat with you, meet with you. If you've already made that decision, then in the midst of this, to some extent, disintegrating society, look up, run to Jesus, and ask him to make you more than ever to be salt and light in this very, very increasingly, I think, dark day. Lord Jesus, we pray, we bow, we pray. We thank you for being authority over us, in us, through us. Uh, the good old days were not so good. We're so glad to be yoked to you, for to be a bond servant of yours is to be free indeed. Now we're not free anymore to do as we please, we're free. Now to make those choices which are pleasing to you. One thing that pleases you is for us to run to you through thick or thin. And one thing that pleases you is to so live that those around us ask us to give an explanation for the hope that is within us. We don't know what tomorrow holds, but we are so glad to be in your grip. And oh God in heaven, please keep us from some kind of siege mentality, some defensive posture. Oh no, oh God, give us eyes to see those who need to hear about you. For if you have set us free, I know you're willing and able to do the same for others. That's our mission for as long as you would have us be here. We welcome it. And ask for you to equip us even more to do it. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.